Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out in this series of programs that Jesus was a first-century Jewish person, a Jewish rabbi indeed, whose teachings can only be understood in the context of his first-century Jewish environment. Many Christians seem to think that it's sufficient to believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. But is it really true, as some maintain, that Jesus came to do three days' work, to die and to be buried and to be raised from the dead? What then was the point of all of his teaching? The intensive instruction that he offered to his disciples was also an essential part of his saving work. Jesus said in Luke 4, verse 43, I came to proclaim the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. That's the reason for which I was sent. Did you know that believing in Jesus in the Bible always means believing his words and his teachings? Listen to Jesus' own conclusion to his ministry. According to the Gospel of John, in John 12, verse 44, Jesus cried out. That's to say he wanted to add extreme emphasis to his final saying here, and these were his words, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. Jesus there points to his Father as his sponsor, and to himself as the agent, as the representative of the one God of Israel. That's a very Jewish idea, by the way, to see oneself as the spokesman of the one God, the Father. The prophets of Israel were agents of God, speaking on behalf of God. Jesus was the final and supreme example of those who spoke with absolute authority. Jesus differed from the prophets who went before him. He was supernaturally conceived in the womb of his mother under the influence of Holy Spirit or divine power, and the words that he spoke were the very words of God. He reflected to humankind the mind of the great Creator, his Father. And so in John 12, verse 45, he said, he who beholds me, beholds the one who sent me. If you've seen me, he said, you've seen the Father. Now that, of course, does not mean that he was the Father. No son is the same person as his Father. That's simply incredible. What Jesus meant was that in hearing the words of Jesus, we hear the very words of his Father. We are let in on the secret of God's great plan as we listen to the words of Jesus. And then in the next verse, in John 12, 46, Jesus said this, I have come as light into the world. That's to say, I was born to be a light to the world, a revelation of God's will and plan to the world, so that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness, in the darkness of misunderstanding and confusion and ignorance. Jesus wants to reverse all of that, by sharing with us the light and the understanding, the knowledge and the wisdom, the insight, the ability to discern God's great plan, Jesus desired to share that information with his own people, as he desires indeed to share it with us to this day. That's why we're in possession of these precious records of Jesus, which document for us the very teachings he gave in the first century. And, of course, the teachings of Jesus are perennially valuable, they're like the silver and gold which we're to seek with all earnestness as being the most precious possessions a man can have. The teaching of Jesus 
reflects the very mind of God, the creator of the heaven and the earth. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah and his representative. In verse 47 of John 12, Jesus said, If anyone hears my sayings, now we learn what it means to believe in Jesus. No sooner had Jesus said in verse 46, He who believes in me, than in verse 47 he says, He who hears my sayings. Hearing the sayings of Jesus with intelligence, responding to them, obeying them, taking them to heart, that's what it means to believe in Jesus. But if anyone hears my sayings, Jesus goes on to say, and does not keep them, does not observe them, I don't judge him, I didn't come to judge the world, I came to save the world. And it's by giving his sayings, his teachings, his wisdom and his understanding, by relating us to God through his teachings, that's how Jesus sets about to save us. He who rejects me, Jesus said in John 12:48, that's to say, he who does not receive my sayings. Accepting Jesus, then, in the Bible is the equivalent of accepting his sayings. Rejecting Jesus is the equivalent of rejecting his sayings. He rejects me and does not receive my sayings, has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. I want you to notice that the criterion of judgment for all of us is the word and words of Jesus. How is it then that some say today that the teachings of Jesus are not important? All that counts supposedly is his death and resurrection. That's in complete contradiction to what Jesus says here. The word I spoke, Jesus said, is what will judge you at the last day. I notice also in passing that judgment is a feature of the last day. Not the day we die, but the day of the resurrection, the day of the return of Jesus. That's when the word of God will judge us. Judgment does not happen the moment you die. There's no judgment which puts you into heaven at the moment you die or into hell as a subterranean place of torture. Judgment awaits the second coming of Christ, and it depends on our being resurrected to face that judgment. The day is coming, Jesus said in John 5, 28 and 29, when all those who are in their tombs will hear his voice. He didn't say all those bodies which are in the tombs. All those people who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and they will come forth from their tombs, some to a resurrection of life, and others to a resurrection of judgment. In John 12, verse 49, Jesus said, I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me, who commissioned me, that is, has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And what was the content of that great commission? Well, it's summed up in that beautiful verse in Luke 4, verse 43. The Father sent me to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. In John 12:49, the one who sent him was the Father and gave him a commandment what to say and what to speak. And what he said and what he spoke, of course, was indeed that gospel message about the kingdom of God. And here in these final words of Jesus' ministry, he urges us with the greatest emphasis to pay attention to those words of Jesus, which are indeed the very words of God his Father, and finally, in verse 50 of John 12, Jesus said, I know that God's commandment means the life of the age to come, life in the kingdom. 
That then is the whole point of Jesus' mission and ministry. It's to confer upon us the power to become immortals in the future kingdom of God. He was sent to preach the kingdom of God, as we read in Luke 4, verse 43. And here in John 50, he tells us that God's commandment is directed towards our receiving the life of the kingdom, the life of the age to come, eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, Jesus concluded, I speak just as the Father told me. The words of Jesus then are God's own words, and they're the words which reveal the secret and the destiny of mankind, how a human being can gain immortality in the kingdom of God when Jesus returns to establish it on this earth. You'll notice that I said that man must obtain immortality. One of the greatest myths ever to hit the Christian church is that man is already immortal. The idea that there is innately in us a spark of life which cannot die, apart from our acceptance of Christ, that is, the idea that we are innately immortal beings who cannot perish is fundamentally false to the Bible. As a European scholar of the Bible said earlier in this century, the doctrinal teaching of the immortality of the soul, which we sometimes find in our theology, does not come from a belief in Christ, but it comes from the Greek philosophy, especially that of Plato. The doctrine of the immortality of the soul is based on a separation of the body and the soul at death, but the Bible does not teach this. End of quotation. The scholar went on to say that when we die, both our body and soul become decomposed, but Christ can raise body and soul, and he will then give us new life, real life in the resurrection. That statement came from a leading biblical scholar of this century in Europe. He makes it quite clear that the separation of the body and the soul at death is not a biblical idea at all. It's rather surprising that people put up without much opposition, without much complaint, to a constant barrage of teaching to the effect that the dead have gone to heaven or hell. That means the separation of the soul, a disembodied soul, either departing to heaven or going to hell. Such an idea is completely contrary to the Bible. It is not found in the pages of Scripture, but actually derives from heathen, pagan philosophy. What a great revolution would take place in Bible reading if ordinary Bible readers would realize that much of what they've learned without critical examination does not come from the Bible at all, but from the world of pagan philosophy. In the Bible, a man is a whole unit. Body and soul live and body and soul die. A man will be resurrected. The whole man, body and soul together, will come back from death to life to gain immortality in the kingdom. Immortality, you see, can only be gained through the resurrection from the dead. Indeed, we can receive the germ of immortality now by accepting the gospel about the kingdom. What Jesus called the seed message about the kingdom of God, Matthew 13:19. We know indeed that a person must be born again if he's to see and enter the kingdom of God. But how does one become born again? It's by contact with that seed of immortality. And that precious seed which is able to confer immortality is contained within the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God as Jesus preached it. Listen to these words of Peter, the leading apostle, 
As he explained the process of rebirth and the initiation of the salvation process in 1 Peter 1, verse 22, Peter said, Since you have in obedience to the truth, and the truth is a synonym for the gospel of the kingdom, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, because you have been born again, not from seed which is perishable, but from imperishable seed, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. And so you see, the word of God, the gospel of the kingdom, contains within it, inherent within it, a vital spark of life, of divine life and immortality. Peter went on to say that the word of the Lord, that's to say God's saving gospel message, as it was spoken by the Son of God, Jesus, the gospel about the kingdom, that word of the Lord abides forever. And this, Peter said, is the word which was preached to you as the gospel, 1 Peter 1, 25. The word gospel is contained in that Greek word translated in our versions as preached. The word is the word which was evangelized to you, the gospel, in other words, about the kingdom of God. It's by contact with that divine message, the message of the kingdom, that the process of immortality can get started in our lives, and it will lead to life in the coming age of the kingdom. We invite you to request from us an article entitled, What is the Christian Gospel? Request also our free book on the kingdom of God, A Solution to the Riddle of the New Testament. Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.